absolutely will. All right. Man, I'm excited to be with you. Last week, we were, if you were here with us, there was something a little bit different about the service. What was different? We were in the chapel. And this week, we decided we're going to be in the sanctuary, and, and we, uh, we basically were standing room only both services last week. And so we came back here. We planned to be here. When, it, when there's a heat wave coming, we're going to be close underneath air conditioning, just so you guys know. That's kind of how we're going to do this. But we are excited to be back in here to be able to worship the acoustics, not worship the acoustics, but the acoustics in this room are a, a lot better than in there, and we can have microphones and so on and so forth. And so all of that to say, thank you for joining us as we continue our series, Live by the Spirit. We talk a lot about growing to look more like Jesus. In fact, I probably say that once, I don't know, maybe a minute. And, and we talk about growing to look more like Jesus, but we wanted to make sure that we defined it well, that we explained to everyone what we mean when we say that. Last week, we began, began our series and started, began our series, and started with the fruit of the Spirit. We talked about how it is the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruits. It is the fruit. It is holistic. It is singular, not plural. It is this idea that together we grow to look more like Jesus, and God doesn't just grow us in love. He grows us in joy and self-control and patience and so on and so forth. He grows us in these different attitudes that come as we start to look more like Christ by growing specifically in the fruit of the Spirit. So let me read it to you. You don't have to stand with me. Let me just read what this says. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23a. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Last week, we tackled love and how when we are in Christ, we become more loving, not just towards God, but towards his people. That's one of the ways that he, we show that we love God is by loving people. Today, we're going to spend our time in joy. The great theologian, Rob Bass, once said in a 1988 R&B rap song, joy and pain. It's like sunshine and rain. Talk to me now. Okay. So that's joy and pain is like sunshine and rain. And Rob alluded to the fact in his late 80s song that joy is in contrast to pain, just like sunshine is in contrast to rain. The problem with this view is that it's not necessarily true and it's definitely not biblical. All have experienced some type of pain in this life, and God, in his redeeming work, uses pain to produce joy. Anyone experienced any pain lately? And we're going to look at what the half-brother of Jesus, James, says about this idea of joy and pain. Jesus, uh, James writes this book to the early church. He's the first pastor of the early church in Jerusalem, and he knows the human condition does not look to joy when temptations and trials come at us. So he points us to what only the Holy Spirit can produce in us through the trials that mankind experience. It's not human nature when you're going through trials, when you're going through temptations, when you're going through suffering and pain. It's not human nature to go, thank you, sir, may I have another? It's just not what we do. But if you have lived any life or you know <clears throat> what this life is like, you know that either you're in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're about to go into a storm. Just know that. 
Just know that that's how this life is, and yet at the same time, we have a God who we are able to reach out to at any point, at any moment in our lives to see us through the trials and the suffering. Trials have a definition biblically. Here's what it means. It means to put one to the test. That's what trial means. It means to put one to the test. So this causes us a bunch of misunderstandings of God if you just hear that at face value. We will often call God sovereign, which means to be in control. But then we start to say, well, he doesn't have control over salvation. That's human choice. Or we think that God doesn't have control over the world in which we live in because if he was in control, then he wouldn't let bad things happen to good people. The problem with that view is that no one is good, the Bible says, not even one except for Jesus. And Jesus was put on a cross by God to hang on that cross for the sins of mankind. So then we start to jump to conclusions that if God is in control, but bad things happen to good people, then maybe he's evil. Maybe he's just mean, which is also a complete misunderstanding of what trials are and what they produce and how important they are to our sanctification process. Sanctification process means our spiritual growth process. So let me give you an emphatic statement. Without trials, you do not grow. So each time I say, I want to grow to look more like Jesus, I'm basically inviting God to give me trials because they're coming anyway. So not only do trials produce something in us, which Paul says is perseverance, but it is God putting our faith to the test. So if you're like me, maybe you'd think or question, why does he need to put our faith to the test? He knows everything, right? Yes. Yes, he does. He absolutely knows everything, but we don't. Did you catch that? He may know everything, but we don't know everything, and so he allows our faith to be tested so we will know that it's genuine. A faith that isn't tested is not a faith at all. It's spiritual superstition. And so just know trials come. And when those trials come, it is an opportunity for us to respond to God's grace and to trust him through the trials. Now, throughout the Old Testament, the left side of most of your Bibles, throughout the Old Testament, we see scenarios where those of us who maybe don't have the Holy Spirit, maybe those of us who are not regenerate by God yet, may see the trials in the Old Testament as God being out of control rather than being fully in control and willing to actually give us proof that is tested and manifested that our faith is real, that it is genuine, that it is refined. One thing I've learned time and time again is that trials are inevitable, but they are also beneficial to our spiritual growth. I met with my favorite professor this week that pointed me to the fact that throughout Scripture, there are a bunch of tells in Scripture. Like, throughout the Word of God, there are tells in Scripture. So let me explain to you what a tell is. Has anyone ever played poker? All right, a couple of you and then liars. Okay, so poker, and when you're playing poker, you get a hand and you see the hand and maybe you get a good hand and maybe you have a tell. Maybe when you get a good hand, your head's all shaking, you're all excited, and everyone knows at that table not to put any more chips in. Some of us have tells when we have a bad hand, we start to sweat or we start to fidget with our chips or fidget with our cards. And what this professor said to me was that there are tells throughout Scripture about where people are with the Lord. And unfortunately, for posers, it's not just about what you say completely. 
It's about how you act and how you respond to things. So how do you respond to trials, church? How do you respond when life doesn't come the way that you want it to come? Do you run from the Lord and blame him for how unfair a situation is, or do you run to him, knowing he is the only one worthy and able to see you through the trial and temptation that you're going through? There's this statement that I've heard forever, and the problem with it's the Bible. Here's the statement. God will never give you anything you can't handle. Yeah, he will. Constantly. But there is a text that people misinterpret, and here's what it is, and this is probably where they get that. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Corinth, those people, oh Lord, I, I don't have time. They're dumb. Anyway, so no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. This doesn't say God won't give you more than you can handle. It says that you won't be tempted without God being available to see you through it. People's human reaction when a trial is coming is to fight against it, to run away from it, to olay it, rather than understanding that trials and temptations are opportunities for growth, are opportunities to strengthen us and to prepare us for spiritual growth. A few months ago, we were talking about a similar thing like this, and we were doing takeaways at the end of first service, and Larry McNally, been in the church for many years, he, he responded, his takeaway was, when hard things come, I need to be reminded that God sees me worthy of spiritual growth. And I love that. That's stuck with me ever since. And our reaction is to fight against these trials that may grow us. So back to James chapter 1, verse 4, he continues, he says, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Anyone? Mature, complete, not lacking anything? Man, I would love that. (laughs) If only, but it doesn't just happen like Neo in the Matrix, right? Oh, I need Kung Fu. I know Kung Fu. Like, that's not how this works. That reference was for me. You guys don't need to remember 1999. That's fine. But those who have more miles on the odometer spiritually, they know that the spiritual life is not a sprint at all. They know that it's a marathon. And in order for maturity to happen, perseverance must finish its work. Here's what we mean by that. It must have opportunities for testing to be accomplished in us. So if you pray for patience, you get four kids. No, if you pray for patience... Four daughters, yeah. If you pray for patience, you get opportunities to exercise patience. I always love it when people come to me and they're like, hey, pastor, would you, would you just pray for my patience? <laughs> sure. <clears throat> Let me know how next week goes. If you need to grow in love for others, what's God going to give you? EGRs, extra grace required people. Heavenly sandpaper. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you probably are those people, just so you know. And when you pray for these things and you want these things, this is what God gives you. He gives you circumstances to grow in said things. God answers prayers all the time, just not the way we'd expect him to. You guys notice that? Praying for patience gives us opportunities to be patient. We're not patient, still answered our prayer. So what is it that you know is lacking in your personal walk with Jesus? 
That's a rhetorical question, but I want you to think about it. What do you know is lacking in your personal walk with Jesus? What of the fruit of the Spirit, what of the attitudes of the fruit of the Spirit are you like, nah, man, I'm not good at that? Because here's what you can be sure of. If you know there are things that you are lacking, that you're not complete in, that you're not maturing in, I can guarantee you this. God's going to give you opportunities to grow in those specific things. (laughs) Good luck. So today... I want to introduce you to someone who's been in our congregation for a while. Her and her husband and her children are dear friends of ours, and she and I have worked together at a former church on staff. God has used this woman in countless ways in her sphere of influence, but God is also starting to use her and her family to be used in this church body to help people grow to look more like Jesus. And so if you wouldn't mind, would you give Ruth Zilka a hand as she comes up? So excited to be with you this morning and to share a little bit of my story and open up God's word as we um, continue to learn from what he has for us today. So if I could sum up the last year of my life in one word, it would be change. Now, change can bring about excitement for some and fear for others. I personally am a person who typically enjoys change. Well, change that I can control, that is. This year, the Lord has brought me through many changes that I did not necessarily want, but that he knew I needed. Over the past 14 months, let me just quickly summarize the things in my life that have changed. I quit a job that I worked at um, at a church for 14 years. Then I started a new job. We left the church that my husband Kyle and I grew up and came to a new church, COV. My best friend moved away. My kids' school closed, and we moved into a new house. I've experienced much change, a lot of loss, and in turn, a roller coaster of emotions. Last summer, after I left my job, Kyle and I began to examine our church life a little bit. And as we did, it became apparent that we weren't equally thriving. I need to give you a little bit of background on my life so that this makes a little bit more sense. So I grew up as a pastor's kid. And what is the one thing you can always count on if you are a pastor's kid? Everybody knows your name. Well, that and the fact that at any moment your life could turn into next week's sermon illustration. So there was always that to be concerned about too. But church for me meant that everybody knew who I was. And if I'm honest, I really liked being known. Church felt comfortable. I knew all the good hiding spots in the building. And it was really like a second home to me because of all the hours I spent there each week. In college, I joined that church's staff. So this meant that even after my dad left the position as lead pastor, I was still known. Because my picture was up on the church staff wall and I was often up front. As Kyle and I began to evaluate our current church home, it became apparent that one of us had slipped through the cracks, while the other one, the one that loved the limelight, had thrived. The more we talked, the more I knew that we needed to leave, and so we did. We left with no bitterness or anger. We just knew that this was what God was calling us to do, and we walked away from a church where we had grown up so we could watch God use us and grow us in a new place. 
I had many moments of digging my heels in and not wanting to leave. One night, I was just crying out to the Lord, sitting in my living room, crying out in frustration and asking why. Why did so much have to change so quickly? Why was he asking me to leave a place where I had been given opportunities to use my gifts? I had a total and complete fist-shaking moment with the Lord. But what do I feel like he gave me in that moment as I cried out to him? He gave me peace, he gave me hope, and he gave me joy. Sorry, my page is sticking together. (laughs) So this, okay, back on track. During our time of seeking the Lord's will for what was next in regards to church for our family, I spent a lot of time studying the book of James. Just as we read earlier, I want to bring us back to James 1. We're going to go through verses 2 through 8 this time, and also verse 12. So this is what it says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. This is verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. One thing I love about these verses is it doesn't say in verse 2, if trials come. It says when. And what are we supposed to do when we are faced with trials? We are to consider it joy. And if we're going to be completely accurate to the text, it says to consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Now, this seems totally and completely counterintuitive because in our own human nature, it completely is. But James isn't telling us that we need to act happy or to put on a brave face and say that everything is okay. These verses are telling us to view our hardships as a time of learning and growing as we watch God move, as we watch God answer prayer, and as we watch God provide the wisdom that we are so desperately seeking. James knew his readers were facing tough times of persecution and poverty. And he wrote this letter to encourage them to recognize that God has a purpose in the trials. And just as Tim was talking about, we know in life you're either in a storm, going into one, or coming out of one. And what I would challenge you is how can you recognize that God has a purpose in your trial? Now, just as I had my fist-shaking moment with the Lord, we aren't required to gloss over our emotions or pretend it's all okay. Sometimes life just plain stinks. And it's hard, but we can find joy in the trials or the pain. 
We need to look past the trials to see the spiritual benefit of growth, the fruit, right, that can occur when we completely depend upon the Lord. Now, verse 6 also tells us that we must not waver. In our sinfulness, we can so easily want to waver. And how often do we think in our heads that our ideas or our ways are better than the Lord's? Now, we may never say that out loud, but our actions or our lack of obedience can speak so much louder than words. I love this quote that I found from my Life Application Study Bible as I was studying for today. It says this, A mind that wavers is not completely convinced that God's will is best. It treats God's word like any human advice, and it retains the option to disobey. We are called to obey, and that means that we must wholeheartedly commit ourselves to the Lord, seeking his word, his will, and being obedient. We don't get to retain the option to disobey. Kyle and I spent much time seeking wisdom, asking the Lord to reveal where he wanted us next. And if I'm completely honest, I had to pray often for an open heart to something that was different. And also a willing heart to put myself out there. As we sought God's will, I was truly filled with so much peace and such joy as I watched my husband lead our family and as I watched God unite us. Even though there was joy, there was still lots of processing, lots of tears, and lots of grief. The process of the Lord leading us away from one church family to another brought up many emotions. And honestly, there were days where I would just start to cry for no apparent reason. It felt a lot like grieving the loss of a loved one. But in the midst of change, I felt like God was also bringing me on this journey of learning to grieve lost expectations. I realized that there have been many seasons in my life where I have just stuffed my emotions. I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps, and I've powered through and pushed forward to whatever was next in life. But God knows that we are emotional beings. He created us. And he's also not afraid of our emotions. I have learned that I need to not fear processing them. And it's okay to cry out in fear or frustration or hurt. We must process our grief, whether that's a loss of a loved one or loss of expectations. But all along the way, we must be willing to grow and to trust. So often we can tell ourselves the church answer and quote, Quote Romans 8.28. More accurately, though, I think we only quote part of it. And it can go a little something like this. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Have you heard that before? But there's more to that verse. The ending is so important. Romans 8.28 in its entirety says this. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. We have been called according to God's purpose, not our own. We are called to follow his will, not our own desires or wants. And sometimes what God is calling us to do is hard. 
But we should find joy in the total and complete truth that we can find in this verse. But we also need to recognize that we are emotional beings who sometimes need to process and shake our fists and get angry. But we have to trust. We have to trust that we are called to God's purpose. And in the middle of fear or change or transition or following God's will, we must trust and rely on our Heavenly Father for true joy. Joy that can only come from Him. As I've walked the road of change this year, God truly has brought about so much joy in the midst of it all. Joy as I've watched Kyle thrive and lead our family so well. Joy as I've seen my heart change and become truly so much more dependent upon Jesus. Another big lesson I feel like the Lord has taught me this year goes back to my love for the limelight. You remember pastor's kid that I was talking about earlier? I had a light bulb aha moment with the Lord sitting right in these pews. Kyle and I had come last fall to check out COV, and one Sunday morning, I just felt like the Lord met me as I was sitting and singing a song during the worship set. I began to realize that for far too long, I had been putting my identity in things other than Jesus. Now, if you would have asked me, I would have honestly said, yes, my identity is found in Christ. But what I did not see until God pulled me out of it was that I had also clouded my identity with the desire for people to know me, with the fact that I could say I was related to many of the members of our previous church, with the fact that my dad was also the president of that denomination of the church where I grew up, coupled with the fact that people could see my gifts and gave me opportunities to use them. But as I sat there that Sunday morning, I felt like the Lord was sweetly reminding me that he needed to be my only identity. And that I needed to let go and free up the things that had clouded that truth. And again, I found such joy in the release. And I've seen so much growth in my life. Plus, you know what the amazing thing about God is? He has blessed me time and time again with opportunities to use my gifts here at COV. The fact that I'm standing in front of you today is a testament to his faithfulness. And he really has made COV feel like home. And for that, I am truly grateful and filled with so much joy and thanksgiving to be in a place where I know that everyone in my family is equally thriving. So my big takeaway from this last year, I like change, even change that I can't control. If it means that I will come out on the other end looking more like Jesus, because that is my lifelong goal and something that I will always desire to strive towards, looking more like my Savior and going where he leads with joy, because he is my refuge, my strength, and my true identity. Thanks. I rarely get to share my takeaway from someone else teaching, and so, Ruth, thank you. And the thing that stood out to me was the fact that, man, it is so easy to allow our identity to waver in things that can't hold it, things that are not as important as 
the Alpha and Omega, not as important as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not as important as Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, and we start to get our identities from our family. We start to get our identities, especially us men, from what we do for a living. And I want to I wanna encourage you, don't miss that. Don't miss how God has seen the Zilkas through kind of this trial and the situation and these temptations to go, man, it would be easier to stay but that's not what God has for them, and he's growing them and changing them and transforming them to look more like him. Turn with me to 1 Peter. This will be the last passage that we undertake today. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter is the apostle who constantly stu- stuck his foot in his mouth. I love this guy. And he is an apostle who writes to the early church with a challenge to them, but he's writing to them in the midst of some in- extreme suffering. Many of these Christians were being hung on crosses and burned alive, just so the Roman Empire could show how awesome they were. And so he's writing to the church, and he's teaching them and explaining to them and pointing them towards their hope that's only found in a right relationship with God. So verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has given us a new birth into a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, we talk a lot about him. We talk a lot about what he's done, what he's accomplished, how perfect he is. But too often we say, and then he died on a cross, period. And we forget that our hope is found in the fact that he's resurrected that he is alive. And he's as alive today as he was on the third day. And because of that, we can have life, life everlasting because our king defeated death. So this new birth is evidenced by hope. And hope isn't just something we look forward to. It's what our life lived is filtered through. Often when I talk with couples in particular, I always ask, hey, and I don't even ask in a spiritual way, I go, what are you looking forward to? And they'll say, I'm looking forward to this vacation, I'm looking forward to when my, I'm, I'm done paying for college for my kids, I'm looking for, you know, and there are all these things that they're looking forward to. I gotta be honest, as soon as this service is over, my wife and I are dropping off our kids at Taco Bell with the in-laws, and then we're jumping in the truck, and we are driving to Long Beach because Monday morning we're going to Catalina Island for four days because we're celebrating our 15-year anniversary. What, what? So excited. But my hope's not built on the fact that I get to go play golf on Tuesday and get massages on Wednesday, and I know you're feeling real bad for me. And my hope is not built on that. My hope is built on the fact that Jesus Christ is as alive today as he was on the third day. And I get to know him, and we're going to engage with people on the ferry as we ride to the island, as we have waiters at different restaurants, as we meet locals, and I'm going to be reminded that I am a son saved by grace through the king. And so it is this hope that is not just something I look forward to, it's the hope that I get to live in today, and I hope that you would live in this. As you walk out these doors, be reminded you are a daughter of the God Most High. You are a son of the God Most High, not because of anything you've done, but because of God's grace revealed to us in Jesus Christ. Verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, it can never spoil or fade, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. This inheritance is is kept in heaven, and it doesn't spoil, it does not go bad, it does not fade away, because there is a deposit that we have received by trusting Jesus. There is a deposit that we've received by repenting and changing direction, and this deposit is known as the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. So I don't want you to miss this. Growth in the fruit of the Spirit. If you are growing to look more like Jesus is the demonstration of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So don't tell me you have the Holy Spirit because you do spirit fingers during worship. Don't tell me you have the Holy Spirit because you're nice to people. You have the Holy Spirit because Jesus lived, he died, he rose again. And if you've repented, you've received this free gift. And it is a deposit for the future guarantee of a eternity with the God most high. So we then, because of that hope, because of that surety, because of the spirit of God inside of us, we can embrace trials. We can embrace temptations. We can embrace suffering because we are convinced that those things produce growth in us. Verse five, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This hope through faith is kept in or shielded by the power of God. And when you're in him, and you need to hear this, if you ever want to know my theology when it comes to salvation, here it is. When you're in him, you can't be out of him. Meaning you don't lose your salvation. If you've truly embraced Jesus Christ and repented and the spirit of God is inside of you, he's not going away. Now, you may squelch him. You may not do what he says, but the spirit will keep gnawing at you. And keep pushing you to put into practice the very words of God. See, salvation is a gift. You didn't do anything to earn it. And since you aren't qualified to earn it, you won't be disqualified to lose it. So remember that. Remember that God is so good that he has given you his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your future inheritance. Verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice. In all this, you have great joy. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Peter says that you can rejoice in all of this, in all of these trials, because the Spirit uses them, even though for just a little while, you're gonna have to deal with some heartache. But in comparison to eternity, it is but a mist, the Bible says. Verse seven, these have come so that proven that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. I don't know if you guys have life verses, but if you struggle with the why behind suffering, you struggle with why would this happen to me, this should be your life verse. Our faith can be tested. It can be refined. It can be proven genuine. Why? Because of the result. It results in praise, glory, and honor to God as Jesus Christ is revealed in our lives. You want to know who went through temptations but didn't allow them to overtake him? Jesus, who went to God when he was being tempted by the enemy, who was being tempted by Satan while 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, no food, no drink, and he was being tempted by Satan, and Jesus quoted the word of God back at Satan in context. Way to go, Lord. You want to know who went through trials that you and I, they would overtake us, and, and there's no way we could get through them? You know who went through them? Jesus, who had never sinned, and yet he was tempted, and yet he was tried, never sinned, and was tried as a criminal. For blasphemy, even though he was speaking the truth, he was spit on, he was attacked, he was eventually hung on a cross by those he created and loved, but he went through it. Trials, church, if you hear nothing else, trials are not a judgment from God. 
they are a means to look more like Jesus. Trials are not a judgment from God. They are a means to look more like Jesus because Jesus understands temptation. Jesus understands your pain. Jesus understands suffering better than any of us will ever fathom. Verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled, check it, with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. COV, I want to remind you of these words that Peter spoke. I want you to be able to look at this verse and be reminded what Peter spoke to people that were going through heartache and persecution and trials and inconvenience and struggles. And I know that some of us are going through those specific things right now. And if we're not right now, buckle up. And yet God gives us his word. He gives us his spirit. He gives us the truth and the gospel that you and I can be made right because he who knew no sin became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. Oh, what a beautiful Lord we serve. And I hope that you understand that there is inexpressible joy when you're found in Jesus that comes from knowing through faith that our hope is cemented It is cemented in Jesus Christ who lived, died, and rose again. He is the point. He went before you, and he is the source of joy that no matter your circumstance, he is with you because he is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, Hebrews says. And if you've been included in Christ through adoption by God, evidenced by the Holy Spirit, growing you to look more like Jesus because you've repented, there is hope. Joy not only is available to you, church, it is continual as we, by grace, follow and trust Jesus at his word.